You know, when we think about essentials, you guys can go. When you think about essentials in life, what are they? Well, air to breathe, water, food, shelter, light. We think about essentials in the uh, Christian faith. It's essential that you believe in God, but not just believe in any God, believe in the God, believe in the Bible, believe the Bible's the Word of God, believe God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, you believe that Jesus came to die in our place, came, died on the cross, rose from the dead, that we have salvation through Him, believe that the Holy Spirit's with us, believe that He's returning essentials to the faith. Now, Christians and denominations may differ on some aspects, but there are some basic essentials that we all should have as followers of Christ. And talk a little bit about today, about essentials for the last days. Sometimes when we think about essentials for the last days, we're thinking, um, well, I need to have an adequate supply of water. I need to have a year, I need to have 30 years supply of food. I need to have a bunker somewhere, you know, somewhere to get down and shelter. I need ammo. These are the things I need to be prepared for the last days. I'm not discrediting any of those things. We could be very headed for some very difficult and dangerous days ahead, but that's not really my focus today. And oh yes, the essential we learned back in COVID days is toilet paper. And so there are just some essentials we hold to. But what about essentials for the last days? Go with me back to 2 Timothy, where we mentioned just a moment ago, chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. And I'm going to the Amplified Bible, which is a little bit wordy sometimes in explaining giving further explanation of certain words there, but listen very carefully and follow along with me. But understand that in the last days, the word there is ekotos in the Greek. We have the word eschatology, which means the theology of end days or end times. And when you use the word ekotos, it doesn't mean last days. It means the last of the last days. It's been the last days ever since Jesus arose and went to heaven. Ever, ever since the church has been birthed, we've been living in the last days. But the truth is, now you and I are living in the last of the last days. Sometimes referred to as the final days in the life that we have here on earth. So are we looking at a day? Are we looking at a week? Are we looking at months? Are we looking at years? We don't really know. All we do know is it's the last of the last days. It says in those last days there will be dangerous times. For great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of, of, the, of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revelers. In other words, abusive, using abusive language, uh, disobedience to parents, ungrateful, unholy, profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural affection, calloused and in, inhumane, irreconcil irreconcilable. Malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness, or the word we should use there is religion, holding to a form of religion, though they have not, though they deny the power of it to conduct their lives, the, 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 it, the, the conduct of their lives nullifies the fact of, of that they're believing in a religion without power. And then Paul goes on and tells Timothy, says, avoid such people and keep far away from them. 
Now we understand a lot of that, that we are with people that are without Christ and people that this may describe, it may be a description of them. We're with them. We have a responsibility to be a light in the midst of darkness, to share with them everything, but we are not, we're not to associate in a sense of, uh, of being in company with them and, and this type of fellowshipping with them because light cannot fellowship with darkness. But what a stark warning that's given here to Timothy. He says, now in the last days, this is, this is, this is what you're going to see. And when you look at much of our culture today and listen to some of the news, the truth here, you know, when you see the little signs that when they have posted directions to, uh, you may go into uh, Disney World or into Six Flags or somewhere, and you look at the posted sign that's there, and it'll have this little arrow pointed there, and it'll say, you are here. You are right here. Well, I've got news. When we look at these signs that are here in Second Timothy, The truth is that we are here. This is right where we are here. We are right now. So, I want to look at some essentials. Now, this may be a little different than what you might think when you look at the title. Uh, It leads into next week's message, the Lord willing, where I'm talking about the essential church. But let's go to Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 1 and 2. Jesus is leaving the temple, and as he's leaving the temple... The disciples are pointing out the beautiful structures, particularly the temple, and says, look how massive and beautiful and strong the temple is. And it's awesome. And then Jesus makes an astounding statement. He responds and says, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. That must have been unimaginable to them. Of course, that's exactly what happened in 70 AD, not that many years afterward. But Verse 3, that's where we want to pick up. It says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all of this happen? Now you have to understand that this may be three questions in one here. Tell us, when will all these, this happen? And what sign or what will be the signal of your return? And the end of the world. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And when will the end of the age be? Now here's something that's astounding. You would think that at that point, Jesus would have answered them by saying, well, it's going to be at this, I don't, he said, I don't know the time, only the Father knows the time. You know, while he was here on earth, and he said, this is not, the Father knows the time. So, he doesn't begin by saying, well, you need to look at this, 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 and this, and this will probably be about the time. He doesn't, he doesn't in any way reply to what seems to be the question they're asking. But here's how he replies. When they say, when will these things happen? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus told them, take heed that no one deceives you. The Luke 19 says, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So instead of seemingly answering their question of when these things are going to happen, here's what he says. He says, it's important for you to pay attention right now. You need to pay attention now. You need to take heed concerning your life. This is not looking about some great day ahead and always looking forward ahead and trying to dream up when this is going to happen, when that's going to happen. Predictions. 
This is about right now, know it's going to happen, that you will pay attention. Pay attention to your life. Take heed that you're not, first of all, deceived. So it's essential that you and I learn to avoid deception. You know, we said that the most dangerous thing about being deceived is that you don't know it. When you're deceived, you don't know it. So you can walk in deception and think that you're walking in truth. Walk in darkness thinking you're light. And when we're living in a world now where good is called evil, evil is called good, light is called darkness, darkness is light. There's so much deception in the world that it's important for you and I as believers not to be drawn into that. Avoid deception. Deception is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid something that is false or invalid. And it's rampant in the world. I'm telling you, if you want to look at deception, watch some of particularly the liberal news broadcasts. You want to look at deception and lies? It's a completely, it's a completely false picture or narrative that's drawn rather than what's really going on. And yet, the multitudes that buy into it, we call it propaganda. It's never been such an issue in the United States as it is today. And it's dangerous. As Christians, we don't need to be drawn in that deception. We need to know the difference. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The naive or inexperienced person is easily misled and believes every word he hears. But the prudent man is discreet and astute and considers well where he's going. What a time for us to give thought to things. This is a time for Christians to use wisdom. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit. John chapter 3 verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Don't be deceived by so much of the false narrative and news and the, mis, the, the, the misinformation. And as far as the gospel, as far as the word of God, there's so many things that are being shared today that are simply not the truth according to his word. Take heed that you don't let yourself be deceived or drawn into these things. It's important that we have an ability to discern. What does it mean to discern things? That means to be able to understand the difference between what is right, wrong, good, or bad. It's a discernment. It's a discernment sometimes about, sometimes we'll, we'll meet people, talk with them, you know, people we've never met before, talk with them for a while. And then, uh, this is how it probably happened with many of you, but we'll walk away and not in attacking those people or criticizing them, then oftentimes Deb will say something like, you know, there's just something there. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something that's not quite right about what that person's saying or about their actions. And, and what we're really seeing there is while you're talking to people, God can help give you discernment an understanding of where they're really coming from. This, this is important to keep you from falling in deception. The Bible talks about having the spirit of discernment. Discernment, another word for discernment, get this, another word for discernment is to discriminate. So what if I got up and preached a sermon that said we need to discrim discriminate? Don't you think that would get on the news? Why the church should discriminate. Now when we hear that word, we think about races. We think about discriminating people because of the color of their skin, looking down upon them, mistreating them, feeling that they're less than we are. Or it may be discriminating because of their beliefs or because of their religion. Whatever it is, we, we discriminate against them. 
There is a there is a huge amount of that type of discrimination in the world today and in the country today. Listen, you want to know someone that's discriminated against today? Really? In our culture? White men Christians. If you want to classify in the public arena today that. And we say a person should not be discriminated against regardless of what color they are. Absolutely right. They shouldn't be discriminated against because of their appearance or even because of their ability, but there has to be some discrimination. Everybody doesn't make the team. You discriminate between those who make the team and those who can't. They may have other gifts than those. You discriminate when you make choices concerning who your children can spend time with. You discriminate. Yes, it's okay with them. No, it's not okay with them. You discriminate. That's a good thing. It means you distinguish of what, from what, is, what is good from that which is bad or not needed or should not be in a particular situation. Discriminate. It's, uh, in that sense, it's a, it's a good word. God helps us to be more discriminating in what we watch on TV, what we watch online. God helps us to be more discriminating in what we read, be more discriminating in the movies we go to, be more discriminating in our lifestyle. Let me tell you something. Uh, you know, we have great freedom today as Christians. Wonderful. Great grace that he's given us to live out that freedom. But you know, the truth is, as followers, he's desired for us to be holy like he is. In other words, he desires for us to live a Christ-like life. That means put some things aside. It means inner change, change on the inside about those things that are important to us. That maybe should not be that important to us. Those things that take all of our time that, that shouldn't. Be discriminate. Discriminate concerning the use of your time. Listen, there's all kinds of examples that I could give here. But what that is is discerning. Is this best or not? Time for holiness. Time for surrender of our heart to the Lord. I, I feel that so many of us as believers... We may have fallen short there that we are Christians. We follow Christ. We know he died on the cross for us. But when we look at living out a life that's truly honoring to him daily, passionate for him, we may not be there. There's, we, we can move in that direction. That's what he desires. You know, we're not, when we talk about be discerning about what, you know, we're not to be controlled by what's going on around us. But we need to be aware of what's going on around us and apply the principles of God's word to it. I don't know what makes sense or not. But we're not, we're not ruled by our circumstances, by our emotions, by things going around. We're not ruled by that. We're actually supposed to rule over those things. We're not ruled by that. But it's important for us to understand and discern whether this is what he desires, whether this is pleasing to him, whether this is best for our family. Whether this is best, you know, for God's plan, for me to fulfill God's plan in my life. So be discerning. Uh, it's important for us to take heed, and that means to be diligent. That means to be on guard, be alert. What a day for you and I not to be sleepy and not to be casual about our Christianity, not to be lazy about it in any way, not to be half-hearted in any way. This is a time for you and I, the believers, to be joyful but serious about our faith. And I have, I have an idea that because we, we're, we are blessed, thank God we're blessed. And for most of us, we live in a great deal of comfort. That's wonderful. We have our needs met. Thank God. 
We have freedom to come here any Sunday that we, or any time that we gather here. We have freedom to do that. And we have the freedom to stay at home. We have those freedoms. We have, you know, God's grace is abundant. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not talking about a legalistic rule by rule by rule type of Christianity. I'm saying that something should burn in our heart as believers that produces a godly lifestyle that will cause us to come to a place to where he's first. He's first. What's going on around me will not rule me, but God's word will rule those things that are behind me. What I accept in my life is going to be whether God's word accepts it or not. What I deny is whether God denies that or not. Let me tell you something, folks. If we could get to that place, it would probably solve a lot of problems in our life and save us a lot of trouble. You know, the opposite of taking heed is basically disregarding. It's being indifferent, disrespectful, negligent. And that should not be the description. One of the essentials of the last days is pay attention. Be alert. That's absolutely essential during these days. There's too many things there that will carry you the wrong direction. The second essential for last days I want to point out from Matthew chapter 24. It's essential that you and I learn to conquer fear. To conquer fear. I, I, probably this should not even be necessary for us to mention or share, but this is so vitally important. In other words, don't be afraid. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 and 7. Jesus says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. The word, word there in the Greek is threats. You will hear of wars and threats of wars. And we're seeing war today on a level that hasn't been on the earth since World War II. Tragic. I'm telling you just a little aside here, but all through the week, the plight and the pain of, particularly of the people of Ukraine, was such a burden on my heart, and I'm sure yours too. Because I couldn't help but when I watched some of the pictures of the families and children and when I watched uh, those that had been hurt or even worse than that had lost their life, when I saw people huddled up together in masses underneath partly destroyed bridges and they were just gathered there not knowing what was next, when I saw families divided and people going hungry and I saw an evil, evil, evil dictator, an evil ruler that stepped in to do this with it, just simply because it's an act of evil and control. Does it play into some of the things of the last days? I think probably it does. But nevertheless, what a tragic situation, which could have probably been avoided if we had had the right leadership rather than the so-called leadership we have now. Nevertheless, it's, it's such a tragic thing. And when we see that happen, you know, you, you get in this place where there's kind of a tension between do you feel guilty because you're not suffering? Do you feel guilty because you're having a good time? Let me tell you, when I went to ball games this week, I was a little bit nervous sometimes, but I had a great time. I enjoyed it. Everybody there seemed to enjoy it. Well, some of them didn't at the end of the games, but enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And it's okay. You've been out this week probably doing some things that are enjoyable, maybe at home or out with your family. And when, you, when, I, when I see that and when I see the comparison of people 
particularly in Ukraine and what they are enduring and what they're suffering now, you know, it, there's a real tension between should I even, it, is it right for me to feel joyful and to enjoy this life and have all these things while those things are happening? It is a tension, but bottom line is God has blessed us. We should be extremely grateful. We're no better than they are, but extremely grateful because of the blessings of God that's in our lives. Enjoy this life. That's fine. That's fine for you to enjoy, have good times. But it's also important for you to learn to do that with an awareness that you have a real responsibility to lift up those people in prayer, to pray for them diligently, and to even take actions where you can to be in some type of supportive role. So please continue to pray for that situation, a very volatile situation, situation that could draw us into a, a, a world war. But it, these are, as we said, perilous times, dangerous times. So in these days where we see these horrific things on television or online, verse 6 of Matthew 24 says, And you will hear of wars and rumors or threats of wars. See that you are not troubled. Look, this is, Jesus says, this is going to happen. But make sure you're not troubled. Well, that, that is an astounding statement, isn't it? It's amazing. How could you not be troubled? That's talking about that's an inner trouble or fear, panic. Don't panic when these things happen. For all these things must come to pass. No doubt there have been times when many, maybe many that are here and some that are watching, that when you hear about these things, you hear about the danger even to America, even to the world, we see these uh, atrocities that are happening. When you see this, it's very likely that, there's not, that, there's, that, that you're probably having something that comes up in you that, is, that, that we could call being fearful or uneasy. Very uneasy. Sometimes you feel like you want to panic. I mean, you want a future for your life, for your family. You want a future for your kids. And, you, and we look and say, well, these sorts of things can never happen here. That's what the Ukrainians said just a matter of a few weeks ago. We said that certain things could never happen here, but look what happened in 2020. Look how life changed. The important thing is there will be some things that happen in our life that are tough, that are difficult, that are dangerous. Jesus says these things will happen. Don't panic. Now he doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't, that he doesn't provide for us. He doesn't provide the ability to obey. He wouldn't say don't be fearful unless it was possible for us to to obey him and say, I will not be fearful. Can we have peace during the midst of the storm? I believe so. He says, all these things are going to happen. Don't be troubled. Don't panic. All these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. In other words, when you see these things, he says, the end is, still hasn't arrived. The end of the age. For nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. We could interpret that as race will be against race and culture against culture. And there will be famine and pestilence. The word pestilence is a Hebrew devour, which means destruction. It, it is actually a deadly, overwhelming disease. When the Bible says there's pestilence, it says there will be deadly diseases, pandemics. It says in the last days there will be earthquakes in various places. And we say, well, there have always been those kinds of things down through the ages. That's true. But the picture of this in Matthew 24 is that the intensity of these things will will pick up. 
these things have always happened, but you're going to see the, 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 the repeating of these things and the intensity of things are going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. But don't panic. Don't be afraid. We don't like to say it this way, but fear is simply a lack of trust in God. Now God is gracious. He helps us. Sometimes we're afraid, but he helps us. We should not live in fear. He's told us you can learn to conquer fear. We don't have to cower down in fear as Christians. When things get crazy, we don't have to be afraid. Look at what happened during the pandemic. Look at what happened. People were afraid of the sickness, afraid to be in contact with others, afraid of shortages in the stores, afraid of what was going to happen in the coming days, afraid to be in school together, afraid to go to church together. And, and listen, wisdom, good decisions for the benefit of your health, that's good. That's fine. People have made those choices and what they believed was best and wise for themselves. And that is good. We should honor that. But the problem is, is that during that time, concerning how the church should respond to trouble, the church didn't get a very good report card, in my opinion. The church did not score very high in how the church should, and rather than standing up and speaking truth and obey, uh, you know, obey to try to help others for a while. But then when there's something that happens beyond a disease that says churches are non-essential, you need to wake up. Something was going on there that wasn't about a disease. And instead of stepping up as churches say, no, 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 we will gather. We will use precautions, but we will gather together. If the church had been in a united stand in doing that, what a testimony that would have been. And I guarantee you there would have been no more people that gotten sick than those who did. In my opinion. There's no science that says either way. So, without getting wrapped up in that, sometimes we have tests that comes along and it shakes us. And some of those things are small, some of those things are pretty large, but it shakes us. When those things happen, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't move back and be caught in, in this type of, I failed the Lord and I'm in fear and I haven't trusted God. No, if, if this is what's been going on in your life, confess it. Lord, Lord, forgive me for getting caught up in fear. Forgive me for letting that trouble me. You have given me the ability to live in peace. And I'm going to learn how to do that. I'm going to, by your grace, conquer fear in my life. And that's an essential for the days that are ahead, folks, to conquer fear. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in me, you may have, in me you can have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, distress, suffering, but be of good cheer, be confident, I've overcome the world. Paul spoke to Timothy in, 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 chapter, in, in 2 Timothy 1 and says, For God's not given us a spirit of fear but, and of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. I love Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4 that says, I get this, the psalmist says, look, says, But when I am afraid, it doesn't say if I'm afraid. Let's admit it. We hit with some things that shakes us at times and we have that moment of fearfulness. Maybe a moment of panic. What are we going to do? But look how the psalmist says, when I am afraid, he does something about it. You got to do something about it. When, you, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I will praise God for what he has promised. I will trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? 
What an awesome word. Get this. Dwell on this for a moment. Psalm 27, beginning verse 3, says, Though a mighty army surrounds me, and I, and I can't help but identify and wonder if there were believers in our world today that this verse was on their heart during the past couple of weeks. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. It's easy to say this. Not so easy to do it. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. I will wait patiently for the Lord. Yes, I'll be brave and courageous and wait patiently for the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 24 as we continue in this. Matthew chapter 24 verse 8 says, All these things are the beginning of sorrows. All the things he described about the wars and rumors of wars, the pestilences, the trouble. He says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. All this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And that's what we're seeing. The Bible calls it travail. It's the travail of a woman that is, is, is in labor before the birth of a child. And he's saying, when you see these things, that is travail. These are the birth, birth pains of what is yet to come. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation. You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. Turn, and they'll turn away from me. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise, deceive many. And because lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, sin will be rampant everywhere. Then the love of many will grow cold. It's, 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 it's eye-opening to see how this describes so much of what we see in the world today. Now sometimes you have to understand when we have these prophetic words from Mark 24, Luke 19, Luke 21, even Ezekiel 28 and 38, when we see these things they're oftentimes what we could, could call an immediate an immediate reference and there is a later application. There's an early, immediate application of these words and later. What do I mean by that? When you read about some of these prophetic words, uh, these prophecies here that Jesus gave, some of them have already happened, or at least one level of them has happened prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Some of the things he mentions happened then. That's the immediate or first application. But I think in most situations there's what we would call a second or later application. It says that what Jesus spoke that talked about things that were going to happen in the immediate future there also had application or intensified or additional ones that would come along in the last of the last days. So there's what's going to happen in the near future, what's going to happen in the distant future. And his word, the prophetic word, speaks to both in most cases. Now, in this, in this chapter 24, think about what he says. It's the beginning of the day of sorrows, birth pains, which is there's, that's not an easy time. The time of tribulation, be rested, persecuted, killed. It's like 
where we've had all the seeker-friendly church to where we go out and try. Y'all come on. Church is a wonderful thing. Gather with us. We have the best music and we have entertainment. And, and come be a part of this and enjoy yourselves. I'm all for that. That is a good thing. Christians should enjoy themselves. But imagine if you were trying to build up your church and you said, Folks, I'd like for you to come to church. Now you understand if you come, you're going to face tribulation. And if you come, you're going to, you're going to have some hard times. And if you come to our church, you may even be arrested. Come on, let's fill up the house. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying here is we put so much emphasis on enjoying Christianity in the church that we forgot that there is an aspect of Christianity where we are to endure or persevere. You know me, I'm a positive gospel person. I mean, I preach positive good news. But the truth is, as a Christian, everything's not just hunky-dory. Everything's not always just beautiful and bright. It, it, we have moments. Now, we can live in that wonderful grace and victory every day of our lives, even if things around us are not so good. But we live in a place where there's lawlessness. You want to, there's lawlessness. <laughs> Defund the police. There's, you know, things going on in the schools. Uh, the love of many growing cold. Even those in the church have backed away. And all these things are happening. And Matthew 24, 13 says, all these things happen, but, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Sometimes when we think about endure, we think about, man, I'm, man, I'm just trying to endure. I hope I'm going to try to endure this speech. I'm going to try to endure this day of work. I'm going to try to endure this diet. I'm going to try to endure. I'm going to try to endure this church service. I'm going to try to endure. I'm going to try, I'm going to, try to make it through. I'm just going to try to make it through. And, and that's kind of for us, endure oftentimes has a negative connotation. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to make it through. I'll make it through. But endure has, I think the word endure, when you think about something that's enduring, it's lasting. It lasts. So when he says, when he says those that endure to the end, they'll be saved, he's saying, you can stand. No matter what faces you, you can stand. But I think the third essential is, is for us as believers is the fact that God has given us his grace and his power and the ability, his word, his name, to endure difficult times Still walking this victory. Endure means to carry on, to keep going. It's like he's saying, be tenacious in your faith. One of my friends used to call it bulldog faith. What you need to have is bulldog faith. That you are going to stand strong. You're not going to give up. One of the essentials in the last days, don't give up, don't quit. Endure to the end. Luke 21, 28 says, When all these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. This is not bowing your head and saying, Oh, I just hope I make it through. This is saying, Jesus says, When you see all these things happen, straighten up. Hey, straighten up. Don't be downcast. This is not gloom and doom. Lift up your head, man. Redemption is getting closer. Lift up your head. And I wonder then, what about the posture of believers? You know what posture is, where you've got good posture and posture. You know, I always feel like I'm standing up pretty straight. But according to Deb, I'm always slumping my shoulders. 
Here, straighten up. Yes, ma'am. And so, uh, good posture is important. It's important. Good posture as believers is important. Posture yourselves in a place of faith. Position yourselves in a place of blessing. Position yourselves. But have a posture of looking up. Not gloom and doom. Things are bad in, the, in this world. There's some uh, horrible things are happening. It's just fact. But I'm not going to look down and worry about it. I'm going to straighten up and carry on in my faith and be tenacious in my faith. That's an essential. There's going to be so many things that are going to tempt you and try to draw you away from your life with the Lord. Draw you away from that, that uh, life of, of, of faith and commitment. Don't let it do that. Don't let it do that. Which brings me to the very last thing and essential is one of the essentials of the last days is to spread the gospel. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, In the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world, throughout the world, as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, there's, there's some interesting news. Technically, the gospel is already being preached to the entire world. With the technology that we have today, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is available in the most remote parts of the world. And it says this is going to be a sign before I'm coming, before the return of Christ. This is going to be the time before the end days. Is the gospel's going to be spread. You're going to see, I'll say this, you're going to see an awakening. You will see a genuine spiritual awakening where hundreds if not thousands will come to Christ. And it may be the difficult days that gets their attention that causes them to make this decision. You know, when the truth is, Jesus says, what you need to do is lift up your eyes again. He told the disciples in another place, he said, you need to look, look, look. He said, look, the harvest is ripe. It's ready. It's ready. The harvest is ready. The harvest of souls, of people coming to Christ, it's time. You have family members. I'm sure you probably have family members that they need Jesus. Maybe some of you have children that never surrendered their heart to the Lord. You're, they're very uncertain about their spiritual state or where they'll spend eternity. We have people you work with, people that you're in school with. Doesn't necessarily mean that you know tomorrow you're going to corner them and take out the Bible and you know pound pound away and tell them to get right. Or, Go to hell. I mean, you know, it's not, that's not the way. Spread the good news of the gospel. But the Holy Spirit will give you ways. Since it to Him. He's the, he's the Lord of the harvest. He'll give you ways. And what I'm saying here is, is one of the essentials for us is to have a greater sensitivity to those who are without Christ and a greater drive within us to introduce them to Him. Because the days are limited. And if they don't come to Christ, it'll be too late. So one of the essentials of the last days is going to be, listen, we're coming down to the last moments, the last of the last. God is demonstrating great grace right now. There are so many people, even here in America, a Christian nation, who need to know Him as Savior. And maybe they're Christians. That we need to say, Man, I need to ratchet up here, ratchet it up here. I, Man, I've seen some things in this today to where I need to step it up. 
in my walk with the Lord, my passion for Him and my faith. And now it's time to do it because it's the last of the last days. It's time. You know, when they, when they ask Jesus those questions, says, you know, when, when are these things going to happen? What's going to be a sign of your turn? And when's going to be, when will be the end of the age? When, when they ask him those questions, he didn't, he didn't answer them the way we might have expected him to answer them. He answered them with one equivocal word for all the things I've shared. He said, the important thing is for you not to try to figure out the day or the hour or the week, the month, the year. The important thing is for you to be ready. You want to know what's essential for the last days? Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready. Make sure that when he comes, he'll find you in faith. Make sure of that. Be ready. So many people have been drawn astray and some people even have kind of made fools of themselves because they tried to predict a particular time. I shared with you before that back in the 80s, I was, of course was pastoring really in the 80s and, and we had this, this scientist who came out with a book of 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come in 1988. Sold thousands. He probably got very wealthy on it until Jesus did not come in 1988 and then the book did not sell any more copies after that. Well, those things have happened all down through the ages. And listen, don't let that lull you to sleep. But you say, well, look, they've always said he's coming. I, I just don't know where I believe it or not. Let me tell you something. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it will not happen. It's just that we don't know exactly when. He gives us some signs. That's good. Studying it, you have questions about it, that's good. But that's not his emphasis. His emphasis is to live ready and to occupy and serve him now. It's kind of like you may have seen this on Facebook. It's similar to this. It says, we're living in the last days. So focus on preparing for his return instead of, focus on preparing for his coming instead of the coming of the Antichrist. Focus more on the mark of the lamb rather than the mark of the beast. And focus on living for Christ on earth now rather than just escaping it. Focus on hope rather than fear. Some people are more drawn to future events and predictions. And it's interesting and it's good. And it's a good study. The second coming, rapture, tribulation, all those things. It's good to have understanding as best we can. But that wasn't Jesus' answer to the question. His answer was, be ready. Take heed. Don't be deceived. Be diligent. That's what his call is here today for us. Would you stand? Lord, you are so good. We're excited about your promises in our life now. We're excited about your promise that you're returning. And just as you came to earth the first time, you're coming back. And the church will be taken to be with you. We're excited about your return. But our focus will not be so much on trying to figure it out as it will be to live it out. God, stir that within us today if you're not prepared in your faith 
if you don't know where you spend eternity, now is when you need to make the decision to say yes to him. Say, God, I believe that you love me. I believe, Jesus, that you gave your life for me on the cross. This is not about me just trying to live a better life. I need a new beginning. Forgive me, Lord, for my sins. Come into my heart. I surrender my life to you as my Savior and Lord. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Make that your prayer this morning. And if you do from your heart, you can be assured that he heard you and that you now can begin this life as a believer and you need to get connected to other believers and get started in following him and his word. For those of us Christians that maybe have been lulled to sleep by being so busy with other things and lulled to sleep because, uh, well, life is life and, and uh, things just go on every week the same. We get into habit and don't realize that there could be sudden change. Help us to be aware that at any moment, our life could change, the world could change. And you've called us to be without fear and to stand strong, lift up our eyes, and be ready. And God, I pray for everyone in this building and those that are watching and listening, Lord, that we will make that decision right now, today. In Jesus' name, amen.